Hey everybody, it is the day after the United States Grand Prix, and I am your host, Brendan Klein, with An American F1, and we are going to be breaking down everything that was the United States Grand Prix. Now, before we get started, I gotta say, I feel like early on, when Circuit of the Americas was introduced, it had its haters. And I think many people wondered if Formula One could survive in Austin. And I got to tell you, this track, more so than others I've seen, has grown into one of the, I wouldn't say a premier venue. It doesn't have the aura of like a, you know, Austria or Spa, but it's grown into a nice, solid venue for Formula One racing. And I think we could agree that we have seen many a good race at Circuit of the Americas. And I think it is truly deserving of the title of United States Grand Prix. And of course, I'm going to be biased here. Obviously, I'm coming from an American point of view. But it is so great to see the sport expand into these areas. Especially when you think of like Texas and the United States, right? You don't think of it as being... A hotbed for Formula One racing. But man, Austin, if you are familiar with Austin, I haven't been there, but I have tons of friends who have been to Austin, tons of friends that live in and around the Texas area. And, you know, Formula One is fitting the vibe that is growing there. And it's it's kind of cool to see. So, you know, props to Circuit of the Americas. I know it's been helped with Drive to Survive and the general growth of Formula One off of that. But Nevertheless, we got to be welcoming to new fans. We got to appreciate the fact that, you know, this sport is growing and it is growing in the United States. And that's going to kind of tie into this weekend buildup because the weekend buildup for the race this weekend was classic. Uh, I mean, American, we had, I mean, we had some teams going all out with their their uh, American-ness. I mean, of course, we have classic Daniel Ricciardo, man, which uh, I'm, I can't even get into Daniel Ricciardo right now. But we had Daniel Ricciardo showing up in his classic Daniel Ricciardo American style on horseback with a guy playing guitar. I mean, classic Daniel Ricciardo. He loves America. He embraces America. Won't race an IndyCar, though, which I can't blame him. Uh, you know, he said he doesn't like ovals, so can't blame Daniel Rick. We'll get into him a little more later. But also teams like Haas with a special livery, honoring the fact that they're an American team. They're technically America's Formula One team. So, I mean, I say technically because we all know how intertwined they are with Ferrari in Italy, but I'm not going to get into that. And then we have what I'm going to call America's, and this still sounds weird to me every time I say it, but it's true. And I think if you asked a Formula One fan in a time capsule, what would be like America's adopted team? And I'm going to say it. And I'm going to, you know, there's more evidence to it now. And that is Williams Racing. Since Doralton Capital has taken over, an American-based investment firm. One of the, it, it just sounds so weird for me to think that Williams is this team with such an American influence. And it's true. If you look at it. And, you know, they have their pop-up store going all out. I think their pit box, too, was colored with, you know, red, white, and blue. So they embraced 
that fact. And to spin off of that, this weekend, probably the biggest news from this weekend, was, of course, Logan Sargent. Formula 2 driver currently third in the standings in line to hopefully get some enough super license points has been announced that if he does get those super license points which in all likelihood he will barring something extreme because remember other people would also have to jump him i mean it is close but for all those drivers to jump him that's going to be difficult but it looks like logan Sargent will be tapped to replace nicholas latifi at williams making logan Sargent america's first Formula One driver since, um, I believe, Rossi in 2014. So that is pretty crazy because, you know, we haven't had a American driver in a while. And for what, what the implications that this has, too, is incredible. So what really is incredible about this is the fact that, to me, Logan Sargent, yes, he's talented. Uh, but, I mean, when we're thinking, like, you know, Alexander Rossi killing an IndyCar, he wasn't too impressive. I think before that, geez, I can't even, was it, I'm going to be wrong, but um, why do I feel like, was it Scott Speed before Alexander Rossi? Because that would be pretty crazy. But, like, we just haven't had uh, a solid American F1 driver, and I know Logan Sargent has had his moments in Formula 2, he's got a win, it's been pretty incredible, but, I mean, we really haven't had anybody recently, I think, literally since, I feel like it was Rossi, and then it had to have been probably Scott Speed, right? So, I mean, hey, listen, maybe Logan Sargent could be the guy. Williams is a great team. I hope he could prove to be fast because it would be good. But I'm just not sold on Logan Sargent. And, you know, listen, I want there to be an American F1 driver. I definitely do. But I just don't know if he's the guy. I I don't know. And, you know, I hope that <laughs> I eat my words. I hope that Logan Sargent becomes good. But uh, I just think he needed another year. I would have liked to see him get another year. But you know what? It is what it is. Um, it's okay. We'll see what happens. And hopefully, you know, we'll get to see some wins. I would love to hear the national anthem. The, you know, Star Spangled Banner, <laughs> um, on the podium at a Formula One race. Not an F2 race, a Formula One race. But nevertheless, this has implications too, because, so if you're a Mick Schumacher fan, which I'll talk about his race a little bit later too, but if you're a Mick Schumacher fan, it's Haas or Bust for him. And I know that that seat is between Nico Hulkenberg and Mick Schumacher. So, you know, there was a potential that maybe Mick could go to Williams barring, you know, some kind of breakdown with Logan Sargent or maybe if he still doesn't get his super license points, that's where Williams goes. But, I mean, Mick is really, really in a tough spot. And, I mean, I got to be honest. 
I don't know why Haas would go for Nico Hulkenberg. I mean, I know Nico is a great driver. It Obviously, Daniel Ricciardo's out of the picture, and really that only realistically leaves Giovinazzi, who didn't really have a great practice session with Haas, ended up in the wall. And, uh, you know, of course, then that leaves Hulkenberg versus Schumacher, and I just don't know why they would want to go to Hulkenberg. It just, it just seems like an odd move, and I get it. There's the veteran stability, and, you know, I, I think one, there's... And I know Haas has been... I guess maybe you could say there's some PTSD or trauma from Haas's young guys, too, but I don't know. I mean, I get it. They're a team that needs stability. They're a team that could potentially be on the rise, too. Uh, people have said a lot of good things about what Haas has been developing. But I'm just not completely sold on Nico Hogenberg joining there. But, hey, we'll see what happens. You know, Nico has been a solid driver. He will give that car the best drive. He keeps the car clean for the most part. So, you know, we'll see where that goes. But we'll talk about more about what Haas uh, did later on. But qualifying, uh, qualifying, uh, We of course, we had a few grid penalties. So that kind of mixed up the grid. But qualifying was uh, quite epic. You know, we had... A good little battle there going on between the uh, Ferraris, the Red Bulls, and the Mercedes. All, like, basically putting in the work in (laughs) qualifying. And at the end of qualifying, we got a Ferrari 1-2. Of course, Charles Leclerc had to go back because of grid penalties. So did, I believe, um, Sergio Perez. But it was really cool to see, like, that battling out. And Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez not having the best qualifying, not lining up in the pole position and Carlos Sainz lining up next to Verstappen on that grid. I mean, you know, it was really cool to see. I think there was a lot of surprises. Valtteri Bottas, again, like getting into the top 10. We saw the Aston Martins, man. I got to give credit to Lance Stroll getting that thing up into seventh. Truly, truly showing you the um, strides that I think Aston Martin is taking in. I'll get into Aston Martin a little more, too, when we talk about this race. But I thought qualifying was properly exciting. And it had we had three good qualifying sessions. I mean, it was all, you know, dependent on timing and the grip and, you know, getting your car out at the right time. And just we saw the times were so close. Even qualifying Q3, like, sorry, um, yeah, Q3, the first qualifying. Q3 was... Um, Pretty incredible because, sorry, why am I saying Q3? I am screwing myself up. Uh, Q1 was incredible because everybody was so close. They were like a tenth apart and, you know, people are falling up and down the line and it was incredible to see. It was incredible to watch. And I thought qualifying had a little bit of everything. Now, the race itself. Circuit of the Americas, again, produced... What I feel was a great United States Grand Prix. And the cool thing is we, well, I don't want to get to the end of the race yet, but it reminded me so much of last year's race too. And so it was funny because this race yesterday, I ran a marathon. You know, I started, thank God this race was on a normal time zone or else I would have missed the whole, the whole race. But uh, I had a marathon. I run it. Now, I get home at, like, noon. Race starts at 3. I take... I, I'm not even joking. I, I wolf down this burrito. 
I take like a two hour nap and I literally made sure I set my alarm. 255, you know, I get the Formula One, you know, programming on on ESPN and I, I timed it right perfectly. And I am sitting in my bed getting ready to watch this race because I'm just chilling. I am just full on relaxing. And I got to tell you, watching the beginning of that race, man, George Russell. I love George. I think George is a very talented driver. But how many times this year has he found himself in some kind of contact that has absolutely messed with somebody's race? And I like George being an aggressive driver. I do. And, you know, it's kind of unexpected. We don't picture that side of George. But this year... And even if you look back to last year, right? I think in Williams, it was kind of easier for him to be under the radar with like the contact and stuff because it was a car that wasn't... Let's get, let's get real. The Williams that George Russell started with and even the Williams that he ended with wasn't exactly the car you would be risking it all to fight for points and things like that. You're not up in the big scrap of things, but... You know, we saw shades of George's, um, how would I say? What's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, aggressiveness? Willing to send it, quote-unquote, last year, right? We we saw him with the contact with Valtteri, um, you know, at Imola. We saw that. And, you know, that was kind of the result of, again, a very aggressive move. Um, trying to go on the outside to pass Valtteri Bottas in um, a not so great <laughs> condition. Also getting onto the grass. Not exactly the spot where you should be making that move. He had no room and he went for it, right? So we've seen the issues this year. You know, the crash with Joe Guan Yu. I, I don't know. He kind of got squeezed into that one. I don't want to blame George completely for that one. But we had his aggressive driving with Mick. And then we had this yesterday where... I mean, I know you like to say, like, I, I'm i so torn on lap one incidents because I feel like on lap one, there is so much going on. Drivers are trying to get into their position. And we saw Carlos Sainz. Carlos Sainz didn't exactly make a smooth move either. No pun intended. I know he's a smooth operator. But I know George should also have to back out there. But Carlos also kind of came into him as well so i understand why george got the penalty i think george has to be a little more patient there you know has to wait and i know he's trying to be aggressive getting to that turn but i think he broke a little too late too but carlos signs also appeared to kind of cut in as well so i mean that contact effectively ruined carlos's race and that's why george i think got the penalty he did but i mean it just seems like Lately, his aggressiveness has been at the forefront. And, you know, that's not really the reputation you want. But, you know, we had... After that, the race kind of settled in and we had Lewis versus Max. And, you know, Max gets out to this lead and we're seeing, like, a lot of cool things going on in the background. We have the Aston Martins performing spectacularly well. Uh, if you were watching through two, there were a lot of drivers that were climbing up through the ranks. We had, uh, I believe it was... Well... The Alpha Tauris were kind of solid too. 
We saw Lando finding his way through. And, you know, we saw a lot of good... Oh, Fernando Alonso getting through the pack as well. So there was a lot of good moves going on. And, again, I'm kind of just chilling at this point, watching the race. It's going down, you know. It's it's a fairly interesting race. We saw some interesting tire strategies. The Haases started... I believe the Haases and the... Uh, I believe it was the two Haases, and I'm going to get this wrong, but the two Alpines started on hards, and everybody else was on medium. So we have those pit stops going. And this kind of played into the strategy later on because it was interesting to see what would go on <laughs> with this dire strategy. And that was all effectively changed when this is the moment where, so I'm chilling, just relaxing, Max and relaxing, and then boom, there's the contact between Fernando and Lance Stroll, and you see Fernando's car going up in the air, literally airplaning, giving you shades of Mark Webber's accident with Kovalainen, and man, Fernando got so lucky there too, to not either hit that barrier harder, or to even go into the catch fence, and then at the same time, Lance Stroll, that accident scared me, not because so much of the hit with Lance Stroll, but when you watched... Lance Stroll's car hit off the side rail and bounced back a la like what happens at Spa. You know, where those cars or the old Spa configuration where the cars kind of clean themselves out. And Lance Stroll was broadside exposed in traffic. And that always, always, always gets me nervous. Thank God for the quick reactions of those different drivers that were coming through. I mean, we had Schumacher, Norris, I think Yuki, even maybe Pierre. I mean, there were so many drivers that were right there. And just pure luck not getting involved in that. Magnuson, too. So, really, really lucky. And the even more incredible thing is Fernando Airplanes. And this guy is able to pit, change his tires and get back out there. And uh, get back out on the track. And I'm going to talk about what happened later on with that. But... Well, you know what I'll talk about now. Fernando runs this spectacular race after airborning his car. An incident that, ironically enough, his future teammate, Lance Stroll, is very responsible for. Very irresponsible move to kind of shift like that in front of Fernando on that part of the track as well. Where Fernando just basically rides the tire and left him with nothing really to do. And, you know, Lance Stroll did get a penalty for that. But then... Fernando, obviously, after riding the tire and airplaning for a little bit, hits the sidewall, is somehow able to not have any more damage to that car. But the one piece that was, was his mirror. And as he's driving along later on, the mirror is flapping, flapping, flapping. He goes to make a pass around Kevin Magnuson. Mirror falls off. Now... There were a few issues earlier in the year with the Haas of Kevin Magnuson with his front wing end plate flapping around. Dude was showing the black and white flag. Black and orange flag. Sorry. And how to repair his car. Sergio Perez and I think even George Russell today both had front wing end plate issues. Neither of them were forced to make those changes. And... I guess the difference they said was because Sergio Perez's eventually fell off. But Sergio's was flapping around there for a while. And K-Mags, I felt like they, they were on that quite quickly. And 
it just is one of these things where Formula One is just not as consistent as they should be when it comes to officiating. And, you know, to me, the Sergio Perez and I believe the George Russell incidents, where you could see that front wing end plate hanging, were similar to Kevin Magnuson's. They're almost carbon copies. The only difference being that Sergio Perez's fell off. But Sergio Perez's fell off after a while because it was flapping around. I don't know. I can understand why Haas was annoyed. They were also annoyed at Fernando Alonso's. Now, Fernando Alonso's situation, I think, is different. That was not an incident of his doing. The guy drives a great race. The mirror falls off. I don't know. I don't see why they made that call after the race. They never... They saw it during the race. They never obviously called the Alpine in to get it fixed. And the dude literally has this epic drive. Him along with Sebastian Vettel both had epic drives. The two former champs like driving their hearts out after unfortunate bad luck. Fernando Alonso coming back from his incident to finish in the points. Sebastian Vettel absolutely having this horrible pit stop where he was in line for such a great potential you know there was a podium on the line potentially there was a solid points finish and for such a great finish and Aston just blows it with bad luck and yet he still drives back and has a spectacular end of the race you know just nipping off Kevin Magnuson at the end really incredible drive from Sebastian Vettel but yeah I don't know Formula One needs to be more consistent with these things. And it's frustrating to see someone's epic race like that ruined because of something like that. But that needs to be figured out. That needs to be sorted out. But to me, that last phase of the race got so interesting because we had a lot of free pit stops thanks to the safety car. Now we have this tire strategy call and, you know, teams switch back onto the hards. We had people like Kevin Magnuson staying out on mediums. And it was pretty incredible. I think Alex Albon also did stay out. There were a few cars that stayed out after taking the mediums that made this effectively. You know, they stopped once and were able to hold on to it. And Kevin Magnuson, man, the way he was able to hold on to those mediums and get a solid points finish at their home race for Haas, quite incredible. Now, The flip side of that, someone who had a good race going was Mick Schumacher. And if you were watching, he was getting his way through the traffic. He was getting his way through other cars, making overtakes. Uh, He got stuck in a DRS train for a while, but was having a nice, solid race. Finally up into the points. I guess he accumulated some debris on his car during that Fernando Lance Stroll incident. I mean, if you watch the replay, he had no choice. He drove straight through it. But if there's anybody with either the worst luck on the grid this year, it's aside like from Fernando, it's got to be George. Uh, George, wow. It's got to be Mick. Um, just either bad strategy, bad pitting, uh, picking up damage like this in an incident not of his doing. The second half of the season where he needs these good performances to maybe secure his ride at Haas, it's it's unfortunate. So 
I guess Mick was forced to pit, and you could tell the car was just not the same after that. He he just kind of fell off, and you know it's unfortunate. I know people on Twitter, if you look at Haas's comments, basically accusing Haas of ruining mixed race. I don't think Haas is trying to ruin mixed race. I think the circumstances were what they were, and they had to pick the car that was gonna be able to finish in the points to carry on with that stop. But, I mean, that was an incredible drive from K-Mag. To, to hold on like that with medium tires, which it just goes to show you, I think we've seen this a lot this year. These Pirelli tires have just managed to hold on and survive a lot better than other tires. So, I think that was pretty cool because it, it set up an interesting tire strategy. And we thought, you know, at this stage of the race, too, now we had... Max and Lewis on opposite tires. We had Lewis on the hards, Max on the mediums. And, you know, you could just tell once those mediums started fading. I mean, we had ourselves a great battle. And I think it was so cool seeing yet again Max and Lewis battle. I really thought after that Red Bull pit stop, that Red Bull uh, messed up pit stop, one would have thought this would have been Lewis's race. And, Oh, it was so close, so close, so close. And Lewis actually held on quite well, too. But I think it goes to show you the strides Mercedes have made this year. That they are a team that has managed to battle through, battle through. They're not having the year they have. They're not having the year they wanted. And yet they're battling through. They're surviving. They're putting in the good effort. And it just was so close this time. I really think now, what do we have? We have Mexico, we have Brazil, and we have Abu Dhabi left. I truly think that one of these races, Mercedes can steal a win. And it's going to come down to the wire, but I really think that we can see, that maybe we will see, Lewis... I really think it's going to be Lewis. I think we're going to see Lewis sneak in a win at one of these races. I don't know which one. I would think which one lends itself best to the Mercedes. Probably none of them, to be fair. I mean, Lewis has Lewis has had great races at Brazil, but I, I don't know. That car, I think the Red Bull is too fast for Brazil. Maybe Mexico, but... That's if the Mercedes engines, how which are typically not great in Mexico, are a little better. But we shall see. I think I think they can sneak out a win here or there. But it'll be interesting. We'll see. But yeah, the race was again Circuit of the Americas, solid race. I know we got the max win. Oh, by the way, could Tim Cook look any more enthused waving the checker flag? What was that? Who picks these people? To wave the checkered flags. Like, how hard is it to wave a flag with enthusiasm? Tim Cook could not look any more bored waving the checkered flag. I mean, you just have this spectacular race. There are cars going, like, hundreds of miles past you. People cheering. Fireworks going off. And you nonchalantly wave the flag like that? What's up with that? Like, (laughs) I don't get it. Like... Could that not have been any more embarrassing? Can we give, like, people, like, a little, like, breakdown on how to do that? 
so that way they know how to do it in the future. I mean, oh my god. <laughs> I can't stop laughing at it. It was so bad. I don't know how that was that bad. But, yeah. Great race. Oh, Yuki Shinoda in the points as well. So, props to Yuki. But, um, <laughs> he needed that, actually. He's had a bad stretch of races in qualifying. But, um, yeah, so... It was a great U.S. Grand Prix. I'm really looking forward to Mexico. Mexico is one of those other solid racetracks. I really like... I think I said this last week. I love this stretch of races. We get the United States Grand Prix. Always a great race. We get the Mexican Grand Prix, which is a beautiful track. I love the racing there. And then we get Brazil. So we get three solid races. I'm not a big fan of Abu Dhabi. But I think we get three solid races coming up. I love this part of the schedule. Great fan bases from all areas. So, very interesting to see. Maybe if Sergio Perez can get a win at his home track, that would be truly epic. I mean, his father would go insane. But, yeah, looking forward to the next couple of races. Let's see what happens here. Red Bull are the Constructors' champions, unless uh, barring some uh, penalties. But apparently there's going to be a reduction in wind tunnel time for them. We'll get into that on Thursday. But, thank you for listening. On Thursday, we'll break down everything that will be the Mexican Grand Prix. We get It's race week yet again. And I love these back-to-back weeks because it just means so much Formula 1 racing. So many things to get hyped about. So we'll talk to you guys on Thursday, breaking down the Mexican Grand Prix. Thank you for listening. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at f one Also follow our website at F1Idiots.com. And, uh, yeah, and follow us on Twitter at F1Idiots as well. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you guys on Thursday.